Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. My Believe in Broncos podcast is presented by my friends at Superbook Sports. And now the world-famous Superbook Sports is coming to the Lodge Casino in Blackhawk. Soon you can get right into the heart of the action. Join them Friday, June 25th for the grand opening of the Superbook at the Lodge Casino. Catch all the games on their state-of-the-art TVs in the comfort of this traditional sportsbook. Superbook Sports is known for better odds, favorable pricing, and an extensive wagering menu focusing on your Colorado teams. Now the Lodge Casino is your first place for fun and for sports. Have a gambling problem? Call one 800 522-4700 for help. Welcome to my Believe in Broncos podcast with my man, Ryan Harris, Super Bowl 50 champion. Someone when I came back to football who made that beat just such an enjoyable experience because we can talk about anything, including baseball, which I was leaving at that time. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing great, Troy. Jo- great to join you, and I love the name of your podcast. And it's what it's what Broncos country needs right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, some hope, some hope. Well, I've gotten to know you through the years, certainly uh, in 15, 2015, and now you are in the media. But I knew you had a chance to be in the media when I saw that MTV special when you were in high school. <laughs> <You're recruiting. laughs> We, what was the name of that special again? I know you burned all copies, so no, there's no danger of anyone finding it. But is that when you realized that, yeah, post-career, I'm going to be a media star? No, you know, uh, uh, true life, I want the perfect body. Uh, uh, you know, not to brag, Troy, but it was the most watched true life that they did in the series. I believe it was because one of the bodybuilders had his dad shave his arse. But, uh, you know, I think people couldn't believe that. But, you know, I, from that experience, I learned that people will recognize you before you recognize them. Uh, and when I went, to, I didn't think anybody would see it. You know, I got a call, Troy, from and my, my co- high school coach walked in one day and says, hey, MTV called. And I'm like, that's a little weird. And so I called the guy. I'm like, hello. He's like, hey, my name is Pat Lope. I work with MTV. You ever heard of the show called True Life? I'm like, uh, yep. And he's like, well, hey, we want to, you know, follow you working out. I see you got to gain, you know, 40, 50 pounds before you get to college. So I was 265 at the time. He's like, can we do that? I'm like, sure. He's like, all right, I'll call you back. And so he came like a couple times and, and recorded. And then I was like, man, no one's going to see it. And when I was on the, you ever been to O'Hare Airport on, underneath, you know, like going to another terminal, I was going down the escalator and this, this gal was with her mom. She's like, you were on MTV last night. I was like, oh crap. Cause I was on my way to Notre Dame. So I was like, I was like, oh no, people saw it. I was just sweating bullets on the flight. And sure enough, I got there. They were like, where's that MTV kid? And uh, they, they made life miserable for about, you know, a week, 10 days. But then the other students showed up on campus and they're like, where's that MTV kid? And they're like, oh, my friend Ryan, he's right over here. Let me go introduce you, you know. So uh, I learned a lot from that experience. 
That was so fantastic. And now you've transitioned smoothly to the media. If memory serves, you are the Colorado broadcaster of the year. You take my my belt away. And you should have probably won it the year before. I don't know how I won originally. What has that transition been like, especially when you're commenting on players that were teammates or friends? I know that's sometimes what uh, guys struggle with. It's not the analysis. You guys, you've got that. But you, when you have to be critical of people that you work with and are friends with. Yeah, I mean, you always, first of all, um, you know, you won it first, as you mentioned, the sportscaster <laughs> of the year. Uh, I am the first black person to win it, though, in Colorado, which I find amazing. So that, uh, shouldn't still, have, that should not be the case. That should not have yeah, been. In 2020, in 2020, it's like, man, we got we got some work to do. But, uh, you know, the thing broadcasting for me, Troy, I know what those meetings are like in championship rooms, you know. And even even on my radio show, a lot of people will say like, oh, you guys are being too hard on this player. Well, hey, yeah, we are being too hard on them if you don't have an expectation to win a championship. But if you do, this is what the room is like. You know, one of the things that I'm thankful for, one of the many things I'm thankful for in my NFL career, my football career, you know, I, I had to address conflict. When, when you fail in the NFL, you can't ignore failure. You have to address it, learn from it and move on. And so those are the kinds of things that I can really bring, you know, to the broadcasting side, because I've been in those meetings. I know what that coach is going to say to them and I know the standard that a great coach will hold. And, and ultimately, Troy, you and I both know this. That's the standard that a champion is going to hold themselves to as well. And I love showing how similar it is to real life. Right. Everyone's going to get knocked down in football. You're going to get knocked down in life. Do you lay there? Do you hope that no one sees it? Do you just crawl back or do you get up? dust yourself off and go back for more. It's a great point you bring up. And again, those listening, Ryan's on altitude every afternoon. With, it's with Nate and Scott, correct? Uh, if I, uh, Josh and Scott, yep. Josh, Josh and Scott. Scott. Yeah, Nate's, Nate's uh, after you. And, and you've got to listen to Ryan because he provides a perspective that's common in some ways. It's critical analysis. It's just a different view uh, through a different lens. But one of the things you bring up there. Is sometimes when I've covered bad teams, and God knows covering the Rockies for 15 years, I covered like 12 of those seasons. They were awful. But when you're on bad teams, I think sometimes players forget what it's like to win and what it's like to work hard. And there becomes this, man, I did, all my, I, I did my running today. It's like, I know that's the baseline. You know, I did this. It's like, and every time I talk to you guys from that 15 team, Every, there always a story leaks out of, oh, remember when we met at 6 a.m. or remember when we had dinners on our own? I mean, do you think sometimes the modern athlete on some of these teams, like they just they're not familiar with that? With that, It's not that they don't work hard, but that there's a different layer to being on a good team, playoff team, championship team. 100 percent. I mean, there are 1600 players in the NFL this year. Fifty three will call themselves champions. I mean, that's a small percentage, right? It's not because no one's not. It's not because everyone else doesn't have the talent, because they're unwilling to work. You know, you look at Ben Simmons with the Philadelphia 76ers. He has refused to change his game for two years. That's not a champion. You don't win that way. And so you always have to go. And I tell people too, especially young people. Uh, you know, when you go talk to football teams and stuff, they listen. If, if your significant other, girlfriend or boyfriend, only did what was necessary. Would you be happy? Well, no. Well, then why should, how should you be happy with your career if that's all you're doing, you know? And so some teams don't have that leadership. And Troy, I'll tell you something else. I mean, I was on a team that went two and 14, lost 14 in a row. Gary Kubiak was too, right? And you still get paid. So now all of a sudden, you know, hey, that was a really bad day in the office, but the next day I got a really nice check. 
So, I mean, it's hard to reconcile those two things. And for those of you out there listening, I mean, if you got paid to lose or win, how much different would your behavior be if you if the pay was the same? And so championship teams just go beyond that whole level. Hey, we're not even talking about, you know, what we get paid for. Here's the opportunity we have. It's not about anybody else. What are we going to do with this opportunity? And one of my favorite things about Peyton Manning, future Hall of Famer, is, you know, he would show up for the 7 a.m. lift, but he'd be in his car in his workout gear waiting for the last person to get in the door. You better Come not on. be the last person, you know? I mean, and that's just the kind of mentality that we had, and it, was, and it helped us win a championship. And I imagine he had some uh, dry wit uh, sense of humor for that person who was either late or uh, the last person in the door frequently. Peyton did. Oh, hey, hey, it didn't happen, Troy. You know what I mean? Because it's like, you're going to be that guy, you know, because because Peyton, you know, uh, Peyton, you won't get the ball in practice. I'll tell you that much. You know what I'm saying? No matter how, how open you are, you're not going to get the ball in practice. So he's in his car, in his gear, watching Wait to see who would be the well, last one. He'd always, he'd always be acting like he was on his phone, but you know he was watching us, Troy. You know he was making sure everybody was in there. Everybody who came to the early lift, you know. But, you know, and that's just another example. You know, one time I came in to for that morning workout, and Malik Jackson was coming in as I was going out to lift. And I said, come on, Malik. You know, don't be lazy. Get your ass up. Let's go. He's like, stop, Ryan Harris. I'm going in for my hot tub, cold tub, you know. And so we were just, you know, 645 in the morning just bantering with each other, you know, pushing each other. And, uh, and those are the things that all of us love and remember about that Super Bowl 50 season. Before we get back to my interview with Ryan Harris, a reminder, my Believe in Broncos podcast is sponsored in part by Hoggett Injury Law. Their motto, with us, it's personal. Speaking of personal, let me tell you about my friend Darby Hoggett. I've known Darby for the better part of a decade, coached his son in youth baseball. We spent a lot of time at those travel tournaments talking about baseball, but of course, the Broncos. Darby is a huge Broncos fan. I've become his close friend. In fact, many of his clients have become good friends. You don't even have to pay Darby up front. If your case goes as planned, Darby will be the one writing checks to you. So give his team a call at 1-833-HOGGIT. That's 1-833-H-O-G-G-A-T-T. Or find out more by visiting their website at www.hoggetlaw.com. Well, in your career, you go to the uh, you go to the Broncos third round, and you had this, and then you end, ends up coming full circle. But when you got to the NFL, what was that like? You know, when you you're, it, Notre Dame, it's different because you're at a high profile program. So, was there confidence that hey, I can do this? Or is there the apprehension of now it's the best in the world? You know, take our you know our audience through. What's that like when you get drafted and you go to the NFL? Everyone just say, oh, it's the next logical step, but it's not as easy as people think when you go from even Notre Dame to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a whole whirlwind where you get confused that the draft process is the NFL, right? Teams are interviewing you. You get drafted. Everybody's, you know, happy you're there. Well, you know, and then, you know, you go home, back home and everybody's happy you got drafted. And, you know, the day I got home from my interview, my uncle, who I love to this day, you know, was like, hey, let's do a real estate deal. $2.4 million real estate deal he put on paper in front of me. And I'd never done real estate, nor had he in his entire life. <laughs> so then you leave that situation to go to a locker room where there's nobody happy that you're there. Right. Maybe one or two guys, but like you're taking somebody's job in this room. And then there's the moment when you go to practice. And I still remember, Troy, being in the showers after like the third practice. I was like, do I have to tell them I can't play football or are they going to figure it out? And like I, I was going through this of like, dude, I mean, it was too fast. Everyone was so strong. And 
And Troy, one of the things, you know, you've been around those locker rooms, but for those who haven't been, things move fast. I mean, we get done with the practice. Me as a veteran, if I've got 35 minutes, I'm hitting that 20-minute lift. I'm hitting lunch. I'm hitting a shower, and I'm going to meetings. Like, whoa. I mean, everything is moving so fast, let alone when you're on the field. You know, it, it, when, you're a, when you're in high school, it's white 80, white 80, said hot, the ball snapped. In college, it's white 80, white 80, said hot, the ball snapped. In the pros, it's white 80, white. And you're like, oh, no. You know, like, what's happening? So uh, I, it took me some time to learn how to jump the snap count, to cheat the line of scrimmage, and to let it loose, let it rip, and rip someone's head off if they got in the way. And no one babies you. That's the other thing people forget. Like, a lot of guys get babied through their career because they're the best player on every team they've ever been on. Maybe they weren't in college, but they certainly were all conference, if not all American. Now you get to the pros – no one's – that bus isn't waiting for you now, right? Isn't that part of the difference and the, the, the maturity you have to show? Because they're not going to beg you to go study your playbook. They're not going to beg you to get on, be on time. Like, they, that's what I try to tell people. It's just such a different level of expectation. And these are grown men. This is their job. Yeah. And, and you know, you have to remember, too, a lot of guys don't have to do something different in college. You know, one of the things, whether I'm speaking to corporations, I say, how, how do you learn something new? How do you learn a new skill? How do you grow? Uh, because those are questions that a lot of guys don't have to answer. Hmm. You know, you're talking about with Drew Locke. He, he, he has competition for this first time in eight years in his quarterback career. Think about that. Like, how is he, you know, like, how do you handle that? I mean, it's easy when none of us are competing with someone else to get complacent, which is a, a lot of the reason what I saw towards the second half of last year. <clears throat> but now he has competition. How do you improve? How do you get better? Because a lot of guys are the fastest guy in college. So you know what? They run go routes. That's it. They don't have to start working on turning turning right or turning left because they'll run a go route from the numbers. They'll come on inside in motion, run a go route on this right seam. They'll line up in the slot, motion to the other side, a go route on the left seam. I mean, that's what they'll do in college because there are that few great defenders. Well, now you come to the NFL. I mean, even Cortland Sutton, you know, he said, yeah, my jump ball is my thing. And Chris Harris Jr. came out, remember, two years ago. was like, if that's all he's doing, my job is easy. I know what he's doing. And so you, how do you grow? How do you learn a new skill? And that's the differentiator when you get to the NFL or the job of your dreams in your life. You still have to learn new skills. And if you are unwilling, so will your success be to you. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, and it's it's you provide such a good message and clarity about that in a way that's presentable without you know, talking down to people. Just like if you want your business to go to the next level, if you want your sports team to go to the next level, there's things and nuances to these jobs that you just you've got to address and you've got to be willing to be open minded about it and be receptive to criticism, which is hard for some of these guys. Frankly, you get back to the Broncos, you come full circle. In 15, that's the first time you play 16 games, I think, since 08. You're healthy. That season, the defensive players started telling me early on, they started to feel like, hey, we got something here. Offensively, you guys are trying to find your identity because Peyton's struggling. He's throwing picks, but he's still Peyton Manning. Where did that point in that season get to where you felt like we can still do something special? Because they had been disappointed with the Super Bowl and with that loss to the Colts. We believed early on, Troy. I've never been on a team that had that type of belief. It was amazing. You know, there's not only the general belief that we would win a Super Bowl, but that we were willing to do whatever it takes to do it. And that's the difference, right? That's the difference. It's like, it's not just, hey, we want to win a Super Bowl, but hey, I'm willing to show up. I'm willing to stay late. You know, I, 
I lived in Westminster when we when we won the Super Bowl that whole season. So sometimes when we got home from a late game, I'd stay at the team, you know, team hotel out there that was I think it's like 49 bucks a night and so that I could be there for meetings the next morning and get two hours of extra sleep. I mean, these are the type of things we're talking about. And there was never a question that we had the skill. I mean, it's funny to me, people say, you know, Peyton's skills were diminished. Try being on the field and trying to get a jump on his snap count if you're a defense. You know, try knowing where he's going with the football. He was so intelligent. He had such precision. And he just lifted everyone else up. <clears throat> but I will tell you, one of the things we learned when Peyton went out with his injury was that in that West Coast offense, when you're under center, you run a run play, the, foot, the ball hits the line of scrimmage a full second faster than it does from the pistol or the shotgun. That's, right. an, that's an eternity in the NFL. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that was one point for us offensively of like, hey, these marks and everything we've been practicing, these are right, but we got to get to that line of scrimmage quicker. And that's just an example of how precise you have to make sure your pistons are firing for that engine to produce. And once Peyton and once Peyton came, once we made that change and Peyton came back, a lot of things started clicking for us. And, and our confidence had never wavered because our willingness was always higher than our confidence. Yeah, I remember CJ Anderson telling me he's like, we understand why Peyton wants to be in pistol or shotgun because he can see the field. He loves it. You know, he just is peripheral. But from a running game standpoint, the timing's different when the back's not when the quarterback's not under center. And he just said you that was something you guys had to adjust to as the season went on. When you get to Super Bowl, the night before the Super Bowl, Carolina, that whole week, everyone's saying you can't win. You know, the Carolina, they have Cam Newton, MVP. They just come off the, they crushed, uh, I think it was Arizona in the NFC Championship. What, what was that speech like from Peyton and DeMarcus? They addressed the team the night before in Santa Clara. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, really, DeMarcus Ware had a speech uh, before the Pittsburgh game where he rolled up to the front of the room with a suitcase. And, you know, we're all sitting there for the team meeting. You know, some of the guys you know, can't wait to get to their chicken wings and, you know, to all the, all the things, ice cream or whatever. And, um, and DeMarcus gave a speech about our season and about how much we persevered and overcame. And then he slammed a Lombardi trophy on the table and said, look at it. Look at it. They're trying to come here and take this from us. And that, that to me was such a moment um, as a team where we really bonded. You know, and, and the night before the game, Peyton texted the offensive line, hey, I know you guys are going to do great. We're going to have fun tomorrow. Let's go. Uh, and so just to be around so many players who had had Super Bowl experience just previously, you know, like Virgil Green, he told me, he's like, hey, man, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying when we lost, I looked at a lot of my family in the hotel rooms I was buying, and I thought, man, I'm out a lot of money, you know, and I lost the Super Bowl. So I got my parents, I got my parents a hotel room and that's it. Hey, you want a hotel room? You can do it. You want tickets? You can do it. So we just had so few distractions uh, in addition to our willingness and our belief. And, and we also knew Troy that the only close game Carolina had been in, they lost and it was to it was to Atlanta. Um, and it was towards the end of the year. So we knew that if it came push to shove, they couldn't push or shove. And at the end of the day, especially with Vaughn and DeMarcus and Malik's performance defensively, um, you know, we were doing the pushing and the shoving. Did you realize then or have, a, have an idea of what it would be like when you put the word Super Bowl champion in front of your name? I joke with guys, that becomes your first name. 
like it's Super Bowl champion and then Ryan Harris like that now becomes like and I because I've covered baseball players and once you're a Hall of Famer that's your signature you know you sign your signature and HOF after it uh, did you realize or what it have what has perspective taught you now that moment and now six years later essentially that how that changed your life I had no idea how it would change my life you know I just I was so focused on doing what I need to do to be there and be ready for the opportunity and to execute right I remember a moment in the in the Super Bowl I'm like okay I mean you know you're in this game right you know you're in this immortal game of games and I just said hey I'm going to fire off and hit my targets. And hey, if I miss, I miss, but I'm going out 100 miles per hour if so, you know? And, and one of the things I tell people is, you know, when you win the Super Bowl, everything you believe about yourself comes true for other people. Like, you know that I work hard, Troy, because I have won a championship, but I knew that before. And so for me, it was this moment of, hey, I want people to have this moment in their life so they know that their sacrifice is always worth it. I couldn't tell you if it was running 18 400s at 15 years old, three times a week that did it, or the yoga that I did earlier that week. I couldn't tell you whether it was, you know, the rehab I did after one of my surgeries or paying attention in a meeting the week before. It's when you win a Super Bowl, when you reach your goal, you know, every sacrifice is worth it. You are a hard worker. You, the things that you believed in are real. And so that was such a wormhole moment, you know, such a threshold moment to go through. And, and, and now it's just such a, such a great thing. I mean, I've had teammates, Troy, that have made tens of millions of more dollars than I did. And, they'll, and they've told me, hey, I'd, I don't have what you have. You know, I don't have the knowledge of what it takes to win a Super Bowl. I don't know what it means. You know, I'm fortunate. I know what it's like to make a mistake and still win a championship, just like every champion. You know? And so to be able to have performed at that high of a level, know how physical that game is. I mean, Troy, out of the five toughest hits of my life, three of them came in that game. I mean, whoa, it was, you know, it's so intense. And also how, how I know how I respond in those moments. And that's something that I'm appreciative for for the rest of my life. Well, again, and it is such a defining moment in some way. I mean, like you said, I don't even define, but it's just validation. Like you said, there's yeah. a, there's a, there, and, you, and it doesn't change who you are as a person. It really, you know, we always say, you know, I, I, I love my work, but I don't want it to be who I am. But when you put all that time in, there is a sense of validation that you just can't escape. Right. I mean, cause you, like you said, you still be Ryan Harris, you know, how hard you worked. You did, you did the lonely work. You did it when no one's watching, but it's not, you're not going to lie and say, when I look at that ring, <laughs> that's still a cool moment of validation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. And it, it's, and it gets, you know, people's attention, you know, and it cuts a lot of the, the, the small talk out of it. Right. Like when I wear my Super Bowl ring in to, to do a corporate speech, uh, people are listening. Right. It's a lot different than me having to explain my backstory. I'll tell you also something else, though, Troy taught me we don't get taught what to do after success. You know, I mean, I mean, we won the Super Bowl. Hey, I mean, it's still a party. OK, I'll tell you that. But um, <laughs> But, you know, two weeks after winning the Super Bowl, I'm on my couch like I got to do something with my life here. You know, so I literally went and took a, a Kaplan Series 6 class, you know, study prep class just to get off of my couch because there's every excuse after you win to do absolutely nothing. And uh, and so that's one of the things, too, in success. Find out what you can do. Build add a skill. Move, move. Get your ass off the couch. Um, and I learned that after winning the Super Bowl, because here you are, you're at this pinnacle. And, you know, at the time we had two kids. Now we have three. And neither of my kids cared that I won the Super Bowl. They're right. still waiting up, you know, and 
I couldn't just rest on that the rest of my life. And so we, 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 we failed to prepare each other for failure and success. And I learned both of those things uh, throughout my NFL career. Yeah, tell someone they got to close the bar tab for 2015. It's over. <laughs> you got to move on. Hey, you can be the first. You can be the first <laughs> if you want, but we'll find you, Troy. We'll find I'm not, you. I'm not closing anything, especially how these last six years have gone for the Broncos post-Super Bowl. It's funny you say that, though. It's part of the reason I started the podcast. I've been asked before to do one, and I just I needed a new challenge. Like Part of the reason I moved from print to TV, it was a risk because I had kids in high school going on to college. And I need, I knew in myself that I, I need something else. I need something to ignite the passion in a different way because I felt stagnant. You know, I just felt like, is this it? And then that would have probably been fine with it. But I just like, there's got to be, you know, I got to try something else. And uh, so with risk, because there, there's, you know, certainly when you take those chances, there's risk. But, you know, I, I'm with you. Like, sometimes you just got to go try. I've told my sons all the time. Part of it, you know, if you just got to show up. You got to show up and it's everything you do before eight and everything you do after five. I get people that call me all the time or text or email. I want to do a, be a sports writer report. I want to do exactly what you do. Cause I don't know if you know this, but I love sports. And I'm like, hello, everyone in these jobs loves sports. Like that's, it's what do you, did you love the craft? Do you love editing? Do you love writing? Do you love sitting there in a parking lot, your car and you're freezing writing a story? Like that's the craft of it. If you just love sports, you don't make it in these jobs. Because you work every weekend, you miss every holiday, your family's pissed at you half the time, but you do it because it's your passion and people that want these jobs. And I encourage them, but I just like, man, I think you have to understand the sacrifice involved. You telling me you love sports means zero to me. Zero. It's do you love the craft of editing, writing, the time involved? That tells me way more about your chance of success than I love sports. Yeah. And how about, you know, one of my favorite phrases comes from boxing you know the best punch is the one you don't throw you know you you and I both have gotten information that we could have broke and we could have been you know the 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 bright shining moment but are you strong enough to withhold that information build an enormous amount of trust with someone else and keep working hard you know you said showing up every single day at the Pittsburgh Steelers Mike Tomlin says first rule getting better is showing up I will never I will he always says I will never overlook the commitment you made on that walk from your car across that parking lot to this building. He says it every single day, you know, and, and so many people are afraid to show up. Troy, after my first time, you know, when I first got football pads, you know, I was uh, 14 years old when I started football. So when I first got my football pads, I didn't know how to hit. And I had a friend who was like, hey, let's go heads up. I'm like, nah, man, like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to hit. He dies laughing. The whole team dies laughing. I am just mortified right like I'm like and so literally that night I'm 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 like 14 years old I'm like I'm just gonna show up I don't know if I'm I don't know if they kicked me off the team because I can't hit I'm just gonna show up and I showed up for that first practice and a a, a cornerback got an interception started flying down the line I just started like my body was already moving towards him was like ah I just remember closing my eyes and all of a sudden I heard woo you know because I just decked this little kid you know this, this young corner and I was like, oh, I do know how to hit, you know, but if I didn't show up, I would have missed all of this, you know, and what people fail to realize is when you when you fail to show up, when you don't take that risk, that becomes a terrible part of your personality. I mean, one of my great friends that I had to had to had to end my our friendship during my career, he didn't take any risks. And not only did that turn into him having a stable, safe life. 
But what he didn't see is it made him jealous of anybody who ever took a risk. You know, we all know those people where you put up a photo like, I climbed Mount Bierstadt or I finally, you know, like a thousand miles. And they'll be like, what kind of shoes are those? You need better shoes. And you're like, really? That's, That's what you took for this? You know, <laughs> so people fail to realize when you don't take risks, and when you don't show up, that becomes a part of your personality. And that's a personality that we don't value truly as a society. That's fascinating. And you put it in such a you know articulate way that people struggle with that. And the, the jealousy becomes and it encompasses them and it starts to, you know, become define who they are every day. I always tell people that, like when guys get paid, I always told you I love when players get paid. I'm not jealous of any of it. You're in a, a sport. That is the going rate. Tom Cruise gets paid thirty million to do a movie. Is that harder than what you guys do? To me, no. So, and if but if the there is a value for it, it's commerce. Why would I be jealous of your money? Plus, I you know in, in athletics, so few people do it at that level. You know, I mean, if they want to pay somebody thirty, forty million, more power to them. I mean, it's like when media guys started getting paid and doing TV. I wasn't jealous. I was like, this is good because it opens up more streams of revenue for the rest of us. Why am I jealous of someone making it? I want to see everyone make those, that money. It raises the rest of us. And, and, you know, as a Muslim, we're taught, you know, want, want for your brother what you want for yourself. And that's one of the biggest guiding phrases for me. You know, <laughs> if I want to get paid, uh, I want my brother to get paid first. And one of the things Gary Kubiak said, you know, is, hey, there's enough pie for everyone to eat. And that's true. Here's the other truth. It doesn't matter how much money anybody makes. Most of us are going broke with it anyways, right? Because we, we, we failed to address the behaviors that are making us broke in the first place, you know? So it doesn't matter if you're listening and you're upset that somebody made 10 million. If you made 10 million, you'd probably be in the same spot you're in right now. Because not only would you have more people with their hand out, but you still have to change your behaviors of saving money. You know, when I when sometimes people come to me, Troy, for financial literacy advice and say, hey, practice saving five dollars a day. Just start there because that will break a habit. I guarantee you. And, and so it's always funny to me, too, when people are like, well, he's getting paid 20 million dollars. Like, well, what does that matter if you got paid 20 million for your job? And trust me, someone at your job is getting paid for a job that they're unqualified for, you know. <laughs> Uh, oh, by the way, you know, that still wouldn't handle the fact that you like to spend money on X, Y, or Z, or that you have a taste for the finer things in life that you really can't afford. So that's always the funny part to me, too, for money. We'll be back with more with my interview with Ryan Harris, the Super Bowl 50 champion. But first, let me ask you, are you hungry? Join the Moik movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V, right now, and listeners to my show get free bacon for a year with every box ordered. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. It's spelled moink, M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash believe. That's moinkbox.com slash believe. Well, we'll get into now the current Broncos, which you talk about every day uh, on your Monday through Friday on your Altitude show, and you're on different platforms as well. But uh, what do you, when you look at this current Broncos team, they just had a start. So it's five straight years without the playoffs since you guys won that Super Bowl. It's the first time it's ever happened where a team won a Super Bowl and missed the playoffs the next five years. They've had four straight losing seasons for the first time since 1963 to 72. I think the stat I saw yesterday was – uh, number of weeks spent over 500 since 16 is like nine. Uh, second word, like tied with the Bengals. It's been a drought. 
<laughs> so what do you think of these current what your prediction for this current Broncos team? And we'll have a couple more questions on the back end of that, but your prediction for this current Broncos team under new GM George Payton. I think they're gonna go eleven and six, Troy. I really do. Uh, I think they're gonna start out three and zero, maybe even four and zero, and they got a good opportunity here. You're gonna have Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb. Oh, by the way, Vic Fangio's only had Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb for four games of his head coaching tenure. Think about that, you know. So hopefully he can get those two guys healthy, and hopefully an offensive leader can emerge. I mean, one of the things that made us great Super Bowl fifty years is we had a leader in every position room, you know. I don't know what kind of leadership they have on that offensive side of the ball, and they need that. But you got playmaking abilities. You've had a lot of players fail, which in the NFL, failure happens right before production, right? I mean, if you're Jerry Judy, you know there are things you need to improve on, and you know that 12 drops is not a way to go forward in your career. And that's probably the first time Jerry Judy's failed as he started as a freshman at Alabama, right? I mean, there are just things that everyone is learning around and I really believe that the defense is going to be incredible. Baron Browning might be the steal of the draft if he can get healthy and, and prepare. I mean, I, 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 I called one of his games for Westwood One against Indiana, and I thought he was a dynamic player with amazing capabilities, and he's really going to add a lot to that linebacking core. So I see 11-6 and six in the first playoff drought, but Broncos fans, calm down. This is what a lot of teams go through <laughs> for a long time. I know it's just jarring because they had 35 years essentially where they were in it every year. Because even under the Shanahan years at the end when they missed the playoffs and that carried over to McDaniels. But Shanahan, they were in it to the last game. This team yeah. hasn't been over 500 since Vance Joseph's last year when they were 6-6. Six and six. And then they proceeded to lose the last four games starting with that Kittle debacle. <laughs> in Santa Clara, we had like 219 yards at halftime. But if you talk about offensive leadership – I'll go to each one of them. Can the Broncos get to where that number of 11 with Teddy Bridgewater? Yes. Teddy Bridgewater is being, you know, it's, it's so funny to me, Troy. Everyone wants to give Drew Locke all this benefit of the doubt, but none of that goes to Teddy Bridgewater, who didn't have Christian McCaffrey, which was 80% of the offense, who did have a first-year head coach who came from college, which is ridiculous for any pro to develop under, not named Aaron Rodgers, right? And, oh, by the way, you know, sources I have there at the, at the, at the Panthers tell me that anytime time Teddy Bridgewater wanted to change a play or change a look, that he got immediate pushback from Matt Rule. So, I mean, you know, here's a player who came from learning from Drew Brees, played in playoff games. He gets no benefit of the doubt because you haven't seen him start. But Drew Locke, who we have seen start, who we have seen not improve, gets every benefit of the doubt. I really think either one of them, provided they have made the, 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 the adjustments they need to make to win their position battle, can lead the Broncos to an 11-6 and six record. The power of competition cannot be understated in the NFL and, and in our lives. And right now, both quarterbacks are in a competition that will bring them to their best quarterback play of their career. What can they win with Drew Locke if he wins it, in your mind? You've seen him close now, obviously, the last couple of years. Can they win if he wins the quarterback battle? Well, if, he win, if Drew Locke wins the quarterback battle, that means that he worked on his downfield efficiency, <clears throat> hitting an open receiver versus a covered receiver, and, um, and learning the different touch and staying in the pocket. So if he does those things, absolutely they can win, you know? And, you know, I, I go back to me, the really big game was last year, the second game against the Kansas City Chiefs, right? This is your third time seeing a team, a team that's a top in your division, and you lose, I think it was 22 to 16 or 22 to 18, if I remember correctly. And in that game, Drew Locke threw two interceptions. 
You And one of those in the first quarter, when he had an open guy right underneath, you cannot do those things if you want to be a starter. You cannot do those things if you want to win the AFC West. He, if he can correct those mistakes, and, and that means he's become the starter, they absolutely can win 11 games with Drew Locke. What does Teddy need to do to win 11 games? You know, I, I think the big thing for Teddy is just to be consistent. You know, um, coaches and players I've talked to have already said he's dynamic, a great leader. You know, his huddle presence is great. I know a lot of people are like, well, what does huddle presence mean? All right, well, what does it matter if your boss at your team meeting has an attitude problem or not? Yes, the answer is yes, right? Um, and, and for Teddy Bridgewater, it's really going to be execution. Can you execute and develop a rapport with your receivers and tight ends as it looks like you're going to at least start camp with split reps? So Teddy Bridgewater's big thing is going to be maximizing every opportunity he has and making sure that he de develops a rapport with the guys he's going to lead. You've been in the locker room. You've lived this. I've said they need to make the decision after the Seattle game no later than that because as a, as a team, you need to know who your leader is. Everyone says both quarterbacks can be leaders, but I've never seen it work out well when there's uncertainty at that position. Did, am I off base there? Is that just me? Or do they need clarity a little you know, sooner in the preseason to allow them to move forward? Because the worst case scenario is they go to New York and they lose 20 to 17 and they're like, oh, we just didn't have enough reps with our starter. I'm literally going to lose my mind and say, really? Because you controlled that. You can make a decision. You don't have to take it to the finish line. There's, as coaches, they evaluate everything, right, Ryan? The eye in the sky yeah. doesn't lie. Should, when should that decision be made? And if it goes too long, can that be detrimental? It absolutely can be detrimental. And I believe they need to make that decision before the first preseason game. Because what fans don't know is, you know, you're talking about a different cadence, right? I mean, hey, if, 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 I, if Troy sounds like wide 80, wide 80, you know, you're going to get used to that rhythm as a lineman, as a receiver who's looking for every single inch and second to gain an advantage against your opponent. Versus if I'm your quarterback and I'm going wide 80, wide 80, you know, like that's going to be, that's a different cadence, right? So now you're asking everybody around this quarterback battle to adjust to their, you know, to, to adjust their anticipation with different sounds, different, different confidence levels. And so you need to be able to know your cadence if you're the lineman and the, and the wide receiver so they can get a jump. And you want your quarterback to get as many looks on the plays that they're going to be running as possible so that they can go into that first game of the season with knowledge and confidence and everybody on the same page. So it makes no sense. And, they only, and the Broncos only need to look to the Paxton Lynch-Trevor Simeon camp battle and see how that ended up for their season. It just wastes time. And guys get frustrated really quick because the guys know who the better quarterback is. And the longer you prevent that decision, the less credibility your coaching staff has with its players. Couldn't agree more with that. I couldn't agree more with that. And I, we, and the final question on this, should Broncos country just say, hey, just cross fingers and hope Aaron Rodgers shows up in middle of August or late August? What is your feeling on that? You've played with Big Ben. You've played with Peyton. We've never really seen a, I can't remember, last superstar reigning MVP quarterback that could hold out. To me, that's going to be when the kind of rubber meets the road here if he decides to miss training camp. What are your thoughts? Do you think Broncos still have a chance? Should they remain nimble if he becomes available? Hey, you always find a spot on your roster for a Hall of Famer, you know. Um, and I will tell you, though, Troy, I mean, you know, even when I was in the NFL, the word on Aaron Rodgers, you know, as great and prolific as he is, is that he wasn't always the best teammate. And there are a lot of guys who think, I don't have to be a good teammate if I'm performing this well, you know. So 
It, it, for me, it's as important for the Broncos to actually talk to Aaron if that's going to happen, see what his mindset is, see how he relates to his teammates. Um, but no question, you're going to have the number one jersey sale and no question that you're going to bring that excitement back to Broncos country. And yet long-term sustainability, you have to grow that type of talent from within to, to be a perennial playoff team. And that, if you're George Payton, if you're John Elway, those are the things you got to look at regardless whether you get Aaron Rodgers or not. When you were one, we, we spoke to super, talk about superstars. When I talked to you back in the, the spring about Von Miller, you were, ad, you were adamant that they need Von back because of leadership. Why, why is that? And what do, you, what do you anticipate? What are your expectations for Von at age 32 coming off a major injury? 32 to me, that history says he can still have a big year. 33, 34 gets a little greasy, but why were you so adamant they bring Vaughn back in terms of what he brings and what are your expectations for him this season? In football and life, we often look to someone else when we experience failure on how to move and how to operate. And that's, that's the same in the NFL, right? When you get scored a touchdown on, do you hang your head? Do you complain? Do you scream at the guy whose problem it is? Or do you just say, come on, guys, let's go. We'll have another shot and walk off the field and hold your head high like a champion. I mean, those lessons are, are just monumental, especially for a franchise that's adding a new GM, that's finding a new quarterback that doesn't have a franchise quarterback, right? You need leadership to teach you how to behave in the formal and informal moments of your career. And Vaughn Miller can do that. And I, and I smile when you talk about, you know, Vaughn Miller's age. I mean, it doesn't matter how old he is, he's tough to block. You know, I think DeMarcus Ware was 35 when we won the Super Bowl and and he made a huge impact. You know, I mean, that sack at the end of the at the end of the second quarter might have been as big of a play as anything as anything else in that game. So it's always funny because, you know, people talking about age in sports hate if somebody's talking about their age in their life, right? But all of a sudden, you know, they think that you're gonna be different in the NFL. I know from being Vaughn's teammate. One of the things that has made him a champion is his ability and willingness to work. And he will work to, to come back and have fun, as he calls it. You know, it's not about the numbers. He wants to have fun out there. And, uh, and he's already been doing it in OTAs. And I feel bad for those tackles right now, Troy, because training camp's the monster against, against Vaughn Miller. Yeah, you're not kidding. Last thing here, and again, I've been joined by Ryan Harris. I, it was a, such a pleasure to get to know Ryan when I left the baseball beat to the football beat. We talked baseball, how he watched Joe Maurer in high school and figured maybe that wasn't his best career path. Uh, and he didn't realize he was watching probably a Hall of Famer, that that was maybe an anomaly. But Ryan is one of my favorite guys to cover for so many reasons and for what he stands for, who he is. Um, so, But I want to ask him one more because he does a lot of college football, still on the Notre Dame broadcast. This draft class, give me your impressions. You, you mentioned Baron Browning earlier. Uh, they get Pat Sertain. Uh, what, are your, what are your impressions of this draft class? What should Broncos country kind of be looking for in terms of what these couple of these top guys can do and, and kind of the expectations you have for this draft class? Well, I saw Patrick Sertan, Baron Browning, and, and as well as the safety from um, Indiana. I'm spacing his name at this point. Patrick Sertan, yeah, Patrick Sertan is 100% the best player the Broncos could have gotten. I can't tell you, Troy, even as a lineman, when you look over to the side and you see a six foot, six one corner with those cleats on, I mean, you know, it's you got to block longer, right? Because these guys are going to cover, you know, zero to 15 yards. And one of the things people don't realize is as a tall and big corner, you can make mistakes and still be okay. 
Uh, Patrick Sertan was the best corner I saw all year. I got to see him up close when uh, Alabama put the brakes on Notre Dame. And uh, it, was, it was fun to watch Patrick Sertan and Devontae Smith, but it was not fun to be an Irish fan that day. Uh, Baron Browning, he can cover, he can be physical. And one of the things I saw on film getting ready for not only his game, but in, in watching his draft status, he was respond. He was making up for other people's mistakes. That's something you do not have to do in the NFL, especially on a defense with Vaughn Miller, Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons. Those guys aren't going to be making mistakes to where a linebacker has to cover a deep middle because the safety got fooled by the quarterback's eyes. So Baron Browning is going to probably have the most production he's ever had in his life as he's playing one position, and he can do it all. Now, like Quinn Miners, one of the things, too, he does – uh, in his training, people laugh, you know, when he's picking up logs and stuff. But if you laugh, you haven't picked one up, you know, because that, <laughs> that uneven weight training, I mean, that's all about being on the offensive line. You know, you want to you want to double team a guy like Vince Wilfork or Dominican Sue. It's going to feel like you're running your shoulder into a log and trying to lift it, you know. So um, Quinn Miners has proved that he doesn't care what anybody thinks with his belly out or his videos. And that's the kind of mentality you need to be successful in life in football. Yeah, I like it because of his belly. I, I, I see some of myself in Quinn Myers. I look at that. Look at that belly. Yeah, he, we all he's got a belly. We all got a belly. Uh, not you anymore. You look fantastic, my man. I can't thank you enough for joining me. Uh, and again, folks, you can hear him on Altitude every afternoon. You can just uh, hopefully you have a chance to see Ryan speak at some point. He spoke to my ruckus baseball team a couple summers ago, and I still have kids text me and I remember that speech. And Ryan's just good people in so many ways, both as the player, but certainly for me, just the man and the father he is and the example he sets. So, Ryan, I can't thank you enough, my man. Hey, Troy, you are one of my favorite people. You supported me. And for those who are listening, you know, Troy, one of my first time, my first time in the Rockies locker room, I, uh, dugout, a uh, clubhouse, I'm sorry. I had no idea how to behave. Uh, you know, I don't know who I can ask questions to. And Troy walked up to me, he goes, Ryan, come on. And he walks me right up to Carlos Gonzalez, one of the most, uh, one of the biggest stars on the team. He goes, hey, Carlos, my friend Ryan, stay high. And that just broke the ice for me. Troy, you've done that in many ways, and uh, I look up to you, my man. I'm thankful to be your friend, and uh, hopefully these Rockies can start winning. Yeah, you got it. Thanks again, and that was our Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host, Troy Rink. Uh, I, I thank my sponsors at Superbook Sports, uh, Hoggett Injury Law, and my son, Dagan, who produces these podcasts, or I would never get this done. And also, I tell you, Broncos country, I do this podcast for you, but happiness, that starts with me. Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. 
Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.